from Wisconsin Public Radio and PRI, Public Radio International. It's to the best of our knowledge. I'm Jim Fleming. Do different kinds of scientists have different personalities? Nobel Prize winning physicist Robert Laughlin thinks so. Biologists are stupid, the physicists are children, and the chemists are gangsters. Well, Robert Laughlin doesn't really believe all those things, but he does say there's something decidedly eccentric about physicists. And Mark Everett would agree. He's an indie rock star whose father was Hugh Everett, the man who came up with a theory of parallel universes. The physicists, they're not known for being great family men. Einstein wasn't so great. and We can't really apply normal people rules to these people. Today, we'll peel back the veil of physics and peek into the troubled life of Hugh Everett. And look back at a largely forgotten strand of Isaac Newton's life his long fascination with alchemy. But first, a very practical take on physics. University of California, Berkeley physicist Richard Muller has written a book called Physics for Future Presidents. He says every president needs a working knowledge of physics. And I had to wonder, why do presidents need this when they're surrounded by science advisors? I think because the science advisors are too narrow in their understanding. Some of these issues, if the science advisor was the one who made the decision, wouldn't necessarily get the economics, the business aspects of it right, the diplomacy. The president can get advice from the scientists, but that advice will always reflect the scientists' narrower knowledge. The president has to put it all together. I think the president needs to understand the science and certainly can understand the science. At least so that he can understand what they're telling him when they have their narrow view of the issues? That's right. That's right. They can understand the essence of nuclear weapons, of energy, of terrorist threats. They can really understand those. That's my point. Well, let's talk about one of those threats. Uh, nuclear weapons seems like a pretty obvious place to start. An atomic bomb would be devastating. But what about a dirty bomb? We hear a lot more about that falling into the hands of terrorists. Well, dirty bombs, it turns out, are extremely difficult to make. When Jose Padilla, the Chicago street thug, came to the U.S. planning to make a dirty bomb, it turns out it's very hard. And the reason is that if you make it too radioactive, it's very hard to transport, very hard to work on. You'll kill the terrorist before you deploy the bomb. If you make it less radioactive, then he can deploy it, maybe die in the process. But when you spread it out, the radioactive level gets below a threshold for death. There's still a long-term cancer danger, but if you spread it out over more than a few hundred yards, then the human response to that level of radioactivity is no illness whatsoever, no dead bodies at the scene. So, in fact, Al-Qaeda instructed Jose Padilla to abandon the dirty bomb idea and instead to blow up some apartment houses using natural gas. Well, you know, before we leave this, though, that's not the public perception at all of this. A dirty bomb sounds really bad. <laughs> yeah. And, and in fact, what frightens me is that I think al-Qaeda understands this issue better than does the U.S. government, which has listed a dirty bomb as a weapon of mass destruction. Don't confuse a dirty bomb with a nuclear explosion. In a dirty bomb, you have a conventional explosion, maybe dynamite or TNT, that spreads radioactivity. It's like spreading a carcinogen. If you really wanted to do damage, you would make a dirty bomb that wouldn't spread radioactivity, but would spread botulism toxin, some other poison that's even worse than radioactivity. When you talk about a nuclear explosion, you say in your book that a president needs...